Welcome to SoupX Radio, a weekly talk show devoted to startup and early stage entrepreneurship, venture investing, and small businesses in general. You can find us now on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud by searching for SoupX Radio. That's S-U-P-X Radio. Also remember to follow us on Twitter at the SoupX. That's at T-H-E-S-U-P-X. I'm your host, Bob Fitz. And our guest today is my friend Ross O'Brien, founder and CEO of West Palm Beach, Florida-based Bonaventure Equity. Ross, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, Bob. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, um, Ross, why don't just maybe at the 100,000-foot level tell us what uh, Bonaventure Equity is, and we'll go into detail about it a little later in the show. Sure. And, and Bob, just want to say I appreciate everything that you do for the entrepreneurial community here in South Florida as a transplant um, by way of uh, 12 years in Manhattan. Um, I chose to start my business here and stay here because of guys like you and all the activity in the area. So I'm really excited for uh, a lot of things that you're doing. Thanks, Ross. So, so um, Bonaventure Equity is a, a, a boutique firm that advises primarily family offices and individual investors on the broader scope of private equity investing. Um, so the way we approach that is uh, we help uh, put together transactions across the whole spectrum of private equity from early stage venture through to later stage and also real estate. Uh, and we do that on a syndicated basis uh, and have an extended network of capital sources that we go to uh, to sponsor syndicated investments. So, the majority of our uh, audience is startup and early stage entrepreneurs and, and some people in the VC community as well. But I'm not sure that everybody knows exactly what a family office is. Um, so if you don't mind, maybe a basic definition would be a good place to get started. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great, Bob. So um, and and certainly we'll be you know germane to the conversation we'll have on kind of my entrepreneurial path, because that's really where it maps to and how I got involved in this was being an entrepreneur myself and and being involved in a lot of companies early on. Um, family offices are, um, you know, it's a term that, that we hear a lot these days that's thrown around, but on its base, it's uh, an infrastructure that's put around individuals or a group of individuals that have um, a significant corpus of wealth, um, ultra high net worths, founders, family members that, you know, have usually in, in our arena, it's kind of 25 million and up and, and significantly up from there. And it's the kind of thing where they're, they're very unique, right? So there's the saying that if you've seen one family office, you've seen one family office, kind of like the snowflake, right? Where everybody's a little bit different. Um, there are some family offices that are service oriented that will do everything from pick up your dry cleaning, bill pay, and, you know, help you manage your homes to getting an insurance and funding for your boats and your planes um, to other very specific individual family offices that do, and this is our arena, a variety of things, uh, but we call direct investing, which means that they're allocating into uh, illiquid uh, um, investments, either in private companies or private real estate deals, um, where there's no sort of public market um, uh, presence, uh, and and you know you end up owning an asset, uh, if you will, or owning the, the outcomes of uh, the operating company. And so that's an alternative pathway into venture private equity than going through a fund and a lot of times sort of co-investing with funds, et cetera. Uh, and, and, it, and my involvement in that just really sort of happened accidentally along the way, just ending up doing a lot of deals with, uh, um, with families and individuals and earlier stage growth companies that uh, seem to map that, that, that industry and network. So uh, we'll come to that back to that also in a minute. But how did you? What was your career path to kind of get you to this point, Ross? Well, I think Bob probably one of the quickest ways to describe it is non-traditional. Okay. <laughs> so, um, look, I think uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm wired like an entrepreneur. I'm, uh, you know, I'd love to have maybe a subsequent conversation with you on the nature, nurture, uh, you know, dynamics of that. But, but essentially, I mean, I, I started, I opened up a restaurant when I was 19 at home in Canada. So, you know, I've, my, I've been wired like that from, from the get go and, and, uh, you know, moved with my family down to the States, uh, ended up in, in Michigan for undergrad and then went to Manhattan, uh, and worked at a number of startups there, um, worked for other startups, started my own companies, uh, primarily, technology businesses uh, that map to the music industry. That was where I started my professional career after college. 
um, and you, had some. Are you sorry to interrupt? Are you a musician also? Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you play? Yeah, play guitar, a little bit of piano, and um, put some bands together. When I was in the city, played my first gig at CBGB's. Oh wow! <laughs> so, I used to, I'm, I used to live in Lower Manhattan for years, so I'm very familiar. That's very cool. My oh bro- sure. Yeah. Both of my brothers are musicians, so I get it. And it does tend to spawn a lot of entrepreneurs. Well, the interesting thing is, Bob, is that it turns out that music is math. And, and, uh, you know, I had always struggled with math in, in school and things as I grew up. And, and I think, you know, again, conversation for another time, but I think standardized testing and the incumbent way in which, you know, we teach is, is not conducive for entrepreneurs. Uh, if you've got that, that tendency, I grew up um, around, so, I grew up around a brother who, who was, uh, like you played multiple instruments and he put together a band and ended up managing or, or probably babysitting would be a better term for it the band <laughs> and you know he was the manager and they did the lighting and everything and it really was running a small business it's a it's an interesting angle so sorry to interrupt no 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 this is great i think it's taking us down a really interesting conversation one of the things that i found um was that uh there's a you know so so i i studied music for a while when i moved to the city and kind of quit my my day job and that's how i ended up in the music industry um, but I was at least self-aware enough at an early age to realize that I wasn't in the 1% of the 1% that had that special talent to make a career of it. And I think it's, and, and, and I think it's an interesting analogy for entrepreneurs, right? So I, I taught entrepreneurship at FAU for a while, and that's, I think where we originally, you know, met in some of the programs. And it's very interesting to see, the people that gravitate to entrepreneurship. And I kind of have this American Idol thesis, right? So if you ever seen the show American Idol, there's always these people that get kicked out because they're horrible and everybody knows they're horrible, but they're, they refuse to accept that they're horrible and, and complain about how the judges got it wrong and they're going to go on to be famous. And well, you know, Bob, I've never seen one of those people go on to be famous, <laughs> right? Or have the career that they wanted. So it, it's interesting because it, it it speaks to, I think, this element of self-awareness that that people need to develop when they're pursuing dreams and passions, right? Which is a lot of entrepreneurship. And so I think I was thankfully smart enough to realize that I could enjoy and have it as a fun hobby, but I was better suited for the the business and finance side of that industry. And that was my pathway into what ended up being a uh, a series of, of entrepreneurial endeavors. And so you did the sounds like music related startup, uh, path for a while for until, mm-hmm. until what age, how, how old were you when you made another pivot? Yeah, I was, uh, I think I was 26, maybe mm-hmm. uh, 20, 28, something around that age. Uh, I had Worked at a couple of startups. I was the first employee of a British uh, technology company. I was the first employee of the U.S. And so I was able to do some things that without sort of risking my own capital at a young age, but being very entrepreneurial and learning how to self-manage and, you know, work with, with uh, a small organization. Had a few startups myself, failed spectacularly at it. <laughs> um And uh, ended up with, um, uh, I, I think by the time I was early thirties, I had a really good network of other entrepreneurs in New York and had just met a lot of great relationships. Um, found myself through another catastrophic, you know, failure with, you know, sort of uh, ended up at the longest road of his, I ended up in LA with no return ticket and had to, had to walk from a deal that we were trying to close that was going to relocate me and, and, in doing that, I might as well have just walked back right back to Manhattan because I really had nowhere to go at that point. And when I got back to the city, found out that, um, you know, the one thing that I actually didn't struggle with was the capital formation side of things, so raising capital and realized that that was uh, probably my my calling and then reoriented my my career very quickly to getting some of the credentialing and, and experiences that I needed to make up by not pursuing that as a career path. So I went and got my MBA at Fordham, which was a phenomenal experience. I know there's a great debate around, you know, education for entrepreneurs, but for me, um, it was the most, you know, productive educational experience that I ever had. Found a great, you know, network and support system of other, you know, smart people uh, while I was, you know, still on my own trying to find a way way forward. Um, ended up getting my securities licenses and getting into the transactional side of things. Um, 
without going through the classical investment banking training, um, ended up with some great companies able to, uh, you know, raise some capital for them and smaller transactions. And that really set me on my path uh, that I've been on ever since. Now, were these like uh, small investment banks? I mean, you were, uh, you know, a typical uh, corporate banker, you know, doing raises, debt equity, or were you on kind of the, did you spend any side on the uh, kind of the, uh, they call them advisors now. And when I was younger, they're called brokers. Yeah, I, I, my formal banking career, transactional career started when I went and got my licenses and had a friend who introduced me to a small broker dealer. And I essentially was a one man shop from day one. Um, raising capital or doing trades yeah. too, or raising capital? No trades. Yeah, okay. no trades. This was all corporate finance, earlier stage stuff, you know, million to 5 million and, ended up uh, doing a lot of deals with, I'd say half of everything I did was in the medical device space, but just I've been a generalist my whole career, so it's across a broad spectrum of, of sectors, um, and just ended up with some interesting companies and interesting individuals that wanted to invest in those companies and help put those transactions together. And then when, you know, how long did you pursue that before your next pivot, and what was that? Well, it's sort of been a, a series of, of um, minute pivots since then, but it's been on the same the same track. Uh, I ended up with uh, one uh, family office who I'd done a few transactions with and had known for for some time. Uh, going, you know, I'd gone through a, some some changes and had some flexibility in where I needed to live or wanted to live, and they invited me to come down to Florida and be their in-house private equity venture capital guy. So, uh, you know, I worked with with one family office um, and helped them put capital formation together into a number of companies from very early stage small checks to really large, um, you know, real estate-based operational investments. Um, so was intended to come down here for a year or so and help them put some money to work and, and ended up, um, doing some interesting things and deciding to stick around. And how long has that been down here now, Ross? Coming up on six years. Okay. Uh, so let's go, uh, uh, the path I want to talk about now, we'll keep talking about family offices. So, um, you know, most of the audience is startup and early stage entrepreneurs. I'm not sure, you know, we defined what a family office is. It's basically an investment shop for, you know, ultra high net worths, and it can take different forms. It can be a single family office. It can be a multifamily office where, you know, sure. the, the money of multi, many families is man, managed by one group. But essentially, as you said, it's, uh, you know, the ultra high net worth money is getting invested. You know, my experience has been that, uh, as opposed to angel groups, which are pretty easy to find because they want to be found, family offices are kind of like, you know, Black Panthers. They're, you know, kind of myth <laughs> mythical and mystical and rarely seen in daylight. Um, it, I know that's somewhat of a joke, but it's also somewhat true, isn't it, Ross? No, it's it's 100% true. Um, the, the definition gets thrown around um, in a lot of different uh, ways, It can, which is why it's difficult to pin down. And by definition, a lot of these ultra wealthy people that are looking for good investments, the the tension in this industry is that they don't want to have a website and don't want a public facing profile and don't want everybody, you know, coming in off the street uh, trying to get access to them. Um, so create these different layers of, uh, you know, scrutiny. And, and that's essentially why, you know, I have a have a business, Bob, is to, you know, provide the, the public facing um, you know, inter ability to, to, to talk to some of these companies and things while keeping the anonymity um, protected of, of the people that, that are looking to deploy capital. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a uh, interesting dynamic of the family office space. There's a significant appetite for great deals, um, but there is a reluctance to get really active and public facing uh, in order to source them. Does that so, make sense? Yeah. So, but in a, so in addition, let's elaborate. So, in addition to being kind of an, an intermediary or representative of family offices to the public, whether that be, be you know entrepreneurs or the deal making public, what other services does BBE provide? I mean, when you, I'm assuming when you tell them to explain a little bit more about direct investing versus saying you know managing a 
you know, a swaps desk or something. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we, and I have never in my career been involved in, you know, trading or the, you know, done very, very little in the public markets. And, um, this is, you know, although, I've been with broker dealers and have securities licenses. They are investment banking licenses, not, you know, for, for trading things. So, um, you're trying to help, uh, these family offices place money in what verticals primarily? um, Yeah. So we don't have a specific investment thesis, uh, and have to remain open to all stages, sectors, et cetera. Um, because ultimately we, uh, are successful when our investors, a consummate a transaction and and you know we create some some long-term incentive for ourselves as such so um in in doing that uh we tend to stay pretty broad um but i would say the things that we most focus on at, at bve are uh you know growth oriented companies that that need an equity infusion of five to ten million upwards to 20 million where we can you know put together that financing for them. Any real estate or do you stay away from real estate? Yeah. Completely? Yeah. No, we, we do real estate. I've actually done a lot in the senior housing space. Mm-hmm. And so, but uh, most of the real estate that we work on is going to be, um, single use, you know, like, like hospitality, hotels, senior housing, uh, and some development, uh, projects in a few niches. And why is that out of curiosity? Uh, the appetite of the investors. So we spend a lot of time engaging with our family offices, not just on the deals that we're working on, but really try to, you know, create some thought leadership around direct investing, really try to, you know, we, we do an annual survey, we do a lot of uh, events and, and, and programming. And so we do that to, to learn and make sure that we're up to the minute on what people have an appetite for. Um, I would say every family office has real estate. Uh, and every family office has LP interests in funds, whether they're venture, private equity, or a combination of both. And so to be able to, you know, provide, you know, good insights to them, we have to have our eye to those markets. And then, you know, the direct piece is where they're not going through a fund, but instead um, utilizing us to find uh, specific transactions that, that fit what they're looking to deploy capital. And a lot of times, what they look for also maps to experience, capabilities, their track record, their relationships. Um, you know, someone who's IPO'd a, you know, multiple financial services companies is probably, you know, best suited for, you know, financial services, services investments, right? right? So you're interfacing primarily with like, say that, well, they may not have this title, but someone who effectively functions as the chief investment officer for this family office. And then they'd let you know, look, we're, we're looking for these kind of deals. Can you keep your eyes open in this vertical and this vertical? I mean, you're not, you're not, my point is, is that you're not, uh, or maybe you are, um, you're not guiding them on asset allocation strategies and, and that kind of stuff. You're helping them execute certain types of, of, of transactions, correct or not correct? No, that's, that's, that's right, Bob. We, we don't get involved in the broader asset allocation, you know, strategies, portfolio strategies. Yes, sometimes it's the CIO, but most of the time it's, it's working with, um, you know, the, the founder directly. Mm -hmm. And, and this is, uh, you know, the kind of thing where they're going to put a few million dollars at a time into some interesting deals that, that sit within their broader portfolio, but that's a specific allocation. Right. So is is my question asking about a CIO because of a misconception that thinking that uh, these offices are so large that they're kind of very structured and have a hierarchy? Are most of them primarily a founder with some analytical assistance unless there's several billion dollars being managed where they need kind of a broader staff? You know, it really depends. Um, There's no. Um, there's no real framework that is consistent across the board. You've got service oriented multifamily offices that have a series of wealthy clients that they manage portfolios for and create services for, um, all the way to, you know, individuals that have, you know, a billion plus in wealth. And they, they typically have the services around them directly that are most material to their activities. And if that's, continuing to operate their portfolio business that's created the wealth, then a lot of the time they'll have the services around that. Uh, if it's focused on 
doing these types of transactions. They may have uh, an in-house team and, and people that are very analytical and look and feel more like a traditional private equity fund. Um, and other times they, you know, are, are less structured and, and utilize groups like us to help them put together, uh, help them put together uh, transactions. So I was making the analogy to the Black Panther or maybe even Snow Leopard would be a better one. But how do startups and early stage companies, you know, access family offices? And, and, and at what point in their maturation is, is should they? Because you mentioned that, you know, typically these companies are looking to put in bigger slugs. But I'm assuming that there's some family offices out there that like investing in the early stage space. I know you have a, a lot to say around this. Yeah, yeah. This is um, something that uh, I, I wish there was sort of a Rosetta Stone for for entrepreneurs. But uh, you know, it, it's it's really broad. I think the, the the conversation is, you know, take it in a couple of layers, right? So if you're so yes, there are individuals and family offices that that make investments into early stage companies, and you've got the more explicit angels. Um, this is not that. There was a term that was popular a few years ago, although I don't really hear it that much anymore, which is the super angels. Um, and and there's a lot of entrepreneurship that is exciting to entrepreneurs that have made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where some of the disconnects are, it maps back to the type of company, what the business does, uh, and how they're going about fundraising. So, you know, the... I would always start the conversation about whether or not a company was a good fit would be to understand, you know, what kind of money are they raising? Why are they raising money? What sector are they in? What's their approach to it? Because uh, if it's a company that has an explicit um, strategy that maps to venture capital funds, right? Let's say like cybersecurity, for example, Right, new innovations and in IP that, that they're developing and code for cybersecurity. I mean, there's a you know a group of venture funds that are institutional structured that go do those types of deals. Um, in order to be successful raising capital from them, I mean, it's a full time job, right? Now, if you layer in on that, saying, okay, now I want to go find a group of family offices and individuals that are not angels, but are willing to do a, a, an institutional style Series A or Series B investment. Um, not only is that a full-time job, I mean, there's literally no playbook for it, right? Um, so it gets very, very difficult and, and time-consuming. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wish I had a, a silver bullet or the Rosetta Stone for this strategy, but uh, you know, I would say that individuals, Tools that have track records in the industry that you're in are important for you to know, to get to know, and it's certainly becoming more the norm that uh, you know individuals that have had really big exits in in certain industries, you know they'll they'll do their own private deals, and so then the question becomes, you know, how do you get access to them? How do you get their attention? And and how do you how how are you successful once you get their attention in in putting together a transaction that's exciting to them? How do you get access to them? So it's really difficult. I mean, it's it's something I've spent almost fifteen years just building one to one relationships in order to have that kind of distribution, you know, and access. Um, it's it's a lot of you know relationships, who you know, networking, et cetera. Um, and, 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 you know, groups like ours can be helpful and for the right in the right situations. I would be cautious about, you know, I've heard people recommend, Hey, go, go to all the fundraisers in your area and you'll meet the rich people that are, you know, making donations. And I'm not sure that that, I don't personally know any stories of that really bearing fruit. Um, uh, you know, and some of those sort of strategies that aren't, you know, as straightforward, you know, may or may not work, but it's really, look, it, it comes back to Bob, if you're running, I think if you're running, you know, your business, you have shareholders, including yourself, right? And if you need capital to grow your business, the, you know, the great entrepreneurs are the ones who are resourceful. Uh, if you, if you need to go get access to those types of investors, you're going to, you know, you're, you should figure out how to do it. And I would start with, 
understanding who the key players are in your industry, how they got funded and, and, and kind of build a, a heat map from there. Is it safe to say that, you know, an organization like Boyne Venture Equity or other companies that provide the similar services to you around the country are primarily going to be assisting family offices in placing larger slugs of money to replace, say, a round? In other words, you know, when people are out usually talking to angel funds, they're raising a quarter of a million to a half million dollars, and then eventually they'll go to a seed series fund to or funds to raise the next log, and eventually they go out for a series A, you know, maybe in the seven-figure, you know, the raise. Uh, it's not a, atypical for the right super angel, which essentially is a, a family office type person, uh, for him to do the whole round himself, Correct. Yeah, you know, I think on the earlier stage stuff, I'm just thinking of the the deals that we've closed successfully, and and um, you know, a lot of the time in the earlier stage, we're coming along with other investors that are also doing their own independent due diligence and then sharing it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've done a few deals where there's been a VC involved, and then we bring some private capital to go alongside them, um, and that's usually something that the entrepreneur puts together. And engineers, um, because they've they should have multiple conversations running in parallel. And the great entrepreneurs that I've worked with on the fundraising, you know, understand how to take a community of of different yet similar investors and bring them together in a financing, um, really quarterbacking that process. There's no, I mean, investment banks don't do this; they're just too small in terms of those those transactions for them to kind of get their 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 fees, et cetera. So for the entrepreneurs that are in the audience, I mean, should they ever be reaching out to BVE and, and saying, hey, look, I'm raising, or is there a certain profile that's more efficient for them and for you before, say, the startups and early stage entrepreneurs in the audience, say, would approach a firm like yours? If I'm in the audience, when, when should I consider contacting you? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, look, I, I, I'm always interested in meeting you know, dynamic up and coming entrepreneurs, right? Um, I would say it's very difficult for us to be a good fit for, you know, very early stage. Um, And so, you know, the interesting thing about the family office arena, which we are just an extension of, right, Mm -hmm. is that there's a lot of companies that, that demonstrate great value to private investors that are um, later stage, have some revenue and some EBITDA, um, so we're almost a better fit for companies that aren't uh, right in the strike zone for traditional venture capital mm-hmm. and maybe a little more advanced. Um, but look, and, and in particular in South Florida, I, I certainly like to, to keep an eye on and, and build relationships with uh, with great entrepreneurs in, in the area. And in fact, one of the things I'm very interested in is is getting out of just that venture capital discussion and looking more broadly at entrepreneurship and, and financing entrepreneurship, because we've actually been quite good at putting transactions together for companies that may not have the, you know, three years, 10x, you know, strong IP portfolio. There's other types of companies that can be very profitable and create a lot of nice return for investors that are private and, and have good growth prospects. So um, we like to love to meet other entrepreneurs. It's something I'm really passionate about. Skeptical that we could be a really great fit for the earlier stage stuff, but that's why we know guys like you, Bob, so we can help direct people in the right place. And so when you say, you know, you're skeptical that you can help really early stage, you know, it's a broadly thrown around term. One person's early stage is another person's startup. Um, um, You know, does, is, is there a kind of a, I'm sure it's traction based, uh, is there typically a kind of a level of revenue generation that is when, you know, might tweak your interest more in, in looking at uh, potential investments uh, for your clients? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So um, for us, you know, we're, I'm saying this having done deals pre-revenue, but we're really um, best suited for post-revenue where there's you know real traction, real adoption. Um, when we get too far down in the 
ideation phase, it gets very difficult for us to understand value and valuation. And we're not, you know, we're, we're, it's difficult for us to assess, you know, scientific risk for biotech and pharma and things like that. There's places that are good at that. I mean, we're really looking for great operators and, and businesses that have scale and leverage. And uh, recently we've done a lot of transactions where there's been uh, some acquisitions as part of the growth strategy and, and bringing in some equity to help finance the acquisitions. Um, so that kind of maps to a little later later stage company. But what I would say is, you know, if a business, if, if they think they can chin the bar of an institutional VC fund and have, you know, a quality offering that, that would meet that, you know, the, the VC criteria um, would certainly be, be open to looking at it. So more or less, the company needs to have at least, you know, probably several hundred thousand dollars at a minimum of revenue before it's worth coming to an organization such as yours. Yeah. 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 I'd say that on the very, very early stage. Yeah. Yeah. And in earlier, you were saying that, you know, as opposed to getting involved in saying early stage investing that, you know, your organization seeks to sometimes, as you referred to it, as be involved in financing entrepreneurship. Um, are you talking about, I'm assuming, raising debt or equity capital for, you know, SMBs for small businesses that have an interesting profile that have several million dollars that want to do a, you know, maybe a small regional roll up. Is that what you mean by that term? Or what exactly do you mean by financing entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think um, because we aren't uh, a fund with uh, an investment thesis and investors to fulfill a specific, um, you know, hurdle rate to et cetera, performance of, of the fund, you know, we, we can look at um, businesses that, that don't fit those traditional sources of capital. And I think the ironies are, or not irony, or what I'm finding is, you know, in particular in South Florida, that there's a ton of businesses, um, a lot of great operators out there that don't get access to traditional funding sources that, that we want to we want to be an alternative for. Yeah, and I would think um, that I would think that you know our audience is really North American and not just Florida. But I would imagine mm. that I would imagine that um, that this is typical of a lot of places. That I'm assuming you're talking about, you know, small manufacturers that have five to fifteen million dollars, or or yeah. that, or yeah. uh, or you know uh, even a, a, a regional chain of dry cleaning shops that has you know seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars and needs growth capital. It's just you know. Going to a bank isn't necessarily what they want to do. They want to do something a little more interesting. Is I mean, you're just talking about financing the small business entrepreneurs that are out there, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Bob. And and I'm trying to expunge from my own vernacular things like small businesses and venture capital, and so just trying to think a little more broadly in terms of look, there's there's operators out there, and every business has a need for capital. My business is no exception. And, you know, there's a reason that the funds have become so successful and big in the venture and private equity space. But I think they're, you know, they're really being, you know, creating these juggernauts that are going on the venture side, I think, either very, very deep and narrow into a specific sector um, uh, or on the private equity side going very, very late stage um, where they're competing for really big transactions uh, because there's so much dry powder there to go do those types of deals that they need to deploy. And that leaves the, you know, I think the definition would be sort of lower middle market or middle market companies where, like you said, in a broad range of sectors, entrepreneurs, have, you know, family owned and operated, that is our whole, our, our, you know, we always map to an owner operated business in some fashion. Um, whether it's our investors because that's how they created their wealth or whether it's the companies that we're sponsoring um, uh, because they're looking for some growth partners. Uh, so really owner-operated business is so broad um, that, that we're trying to, you know, find those really interesting opportunities that, that, that have a, a good story that fits where these investors cap want to, you know, place their capital. You know, sometimes examples uh, are the best thing. Uh, can you talk about just a couple of types of companies that you've helped find financing for? And it'll probably generate some nice ideas in the audience as to whether they think they should give you a call. Sure. 
um, on the early, on, on the early stage, the early technology stage, um, there was a company that uh, that we sponsored a co-investment with alongside some institutional investors. It's um, you know a technology for the um, uh, 911, you know, replicate replacing 911 incumbent 911 technologies. Really compelling stuff. Very disruptive. Um, you know, we we made that investment, and then there was an event within four months that uh, materially increased the value of the company. So we found it right at an inflection point from a value creation standpoint. And the CEO made the Forbes 30 under 30 list, and uh, has you know now a, a dynamic board in place. So really liked the story around that. That's probably on the earlier stage of of the spectrum. And out of curiosity, um, Ross, yeah. approximately, do you remember? I know you do a lot of deals. Do you remember basically the size of their revenues at the time you got involved in the deal and how much in aggregate was raised? Yeah, I, I don't know the revenue off the top of my head. Um, it's been a while since we completed due diligence on it um couple of mil maybe or yeah yeah i think it was a couple million and um we we participated at a you know a couple million level in in a in a series series b or b2 i think it was and the overall raise was what six eight ten million i think they did they they closed it at 12 okay okay all right uh Thanks. Yeah. Another type of example, maybe not uh, technology early stage. What else? Yeah. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, a uh, really interesting uh, one of the one of the most incredible entrepreneurs I've ever met has a consumer products company that, you know, he started from nothing himself and grew it to over thirty million in revenue in just under four years, and uh, never had any outside partners or investors in the company with him and has worked with us because uh, we were a nice alternative to the the funds that were knocking on his door every other week. Um, you know, he liked the visibility into the investors. He liked that individuals were risking capital directly and that we could, you know, have an institutional, which means, you know, properly structured, full due diligence. We do a lot of the investor relations post-investment and, and monitoring and, and, you know, help you know, button up all of those those offerings, um, liked liked us and, and our entrepreneurial approach, right? Which is why that entrepreneurial finance tag is something that you know seems to pop up a lot in conversations lately. So it sounds like there are a wide range of businesses that essentially you serve as a banker for. Uh, and if you're in the audience and you're a, even though you don't like the term, I think it's helpful for the audience to frame what kind of. Uh, market segments you looked at, it's it's generally not startups. It is occasionally early stage businesses with, you know, uh, that have already found product market fit and have traction and are probably $500,000 in revenue or more. And even that's on the small side. It's really more, uh, you know, growth stage companies uh, with several million dollars in revenue who need non-traditional finance. That doesn't necessarily mean high yield finance. It just means they need somebody to help assist them raise uh, equity. And uh, they might not be in a sexy business, which is why, you know, knocking on the door of a Goldman Sachs or something might not seem like the uh, best avenue for them. So you would be a good source to help them raise that kind of capital. Uh, with the caveat, I, I, I agree, but I think you framed um, you know some of the, the the verticals and and profile pretty well. Just with the caveat, I mean, we are not uh, an investment bank, so we're not bankers. Um, so we're always uh, really working on the investor side of the equation. Um, so we very rarely take on um, engagement. You know, yeah. Yeah, but we'll we'll do that for some interesting companies that we get really excited about. But typically, when we're able to, um, you know, be be more of a participant in the equity ourselves. Um, but yeah, we're 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 not not in the business of of raising capital, if you will. So, is it appropriate or not appropriate for like you know the guys that are members of entrepreneurs organization or or young professionals organization YPO? to lob in a call to see if you're kind of looking, any of your clients are looking for a, you know, uh, an investment in a certain segment that they're in. 
No, absolutely. Um, here's here's the way to think about us and and where we're a great fit is that, you know, an, an owner operator that 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 has uh, an interesting business that they've they've built up maybe over a few years or, or longer um, has a, a you know a, a strategy for you know going from let's call it ten or twenty million in revenue to a hundred million um, may want to create some liquidity for themselves maybe looking at what more traditional private equity does, but looking for an alternative, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're always interested in having those conversations and, and where they map to where we know, um, with our community or our, you know, members, well, they're not members, but with our, our investor base, where they have an appetite, then we can get very, very active. And then in terms of the, the kind of assistance side of the business for the family offices. I'm, uh, I'm assuming, you know, uh, you're, you you have capacity. You could take on other family offices if they are needed as assistance in, in, in looking for certain deals. Yeah, that's our, that's our whole model to, to be a, you know, a, a rentable private equity shop for family offices where they want to, you know, either create some, deal sourcing and find, you know, specific proprietary deals. Uh, we've helped a lot of families develop investment thesis for, you know, doing this type of investing and then building out their, um, you know, their pathways, including their systems and processes and just really, you know, professionalizing and institutionalizing their deal rigor. Um, and so, so we're always interested in, in talking with investors that are looking for, you know, the types of deals that we can structure and make available. And we've got a whole, you know, what we refer to as our integrated platform that allows us to really monitor, manage and report um, at the same level that you would find in a large multi-billion dollar fund we can do on a deal by deal basis. Can you elaborate on that? Because what I don't want to leave the impression with the people in the, the family offices that are listening is that you're a business broker because that's not what you are. No. Yeah. Uh, and so can you dive a little deeper on the array of services that you provide family offices and how that that's, you know, uh, almost uh, like retaining a, you know, a plug and play investment office for them. I would imagine that you are a great fit in addition to organizations that have an infrastructure. You're a great fit for a family office that really doesn't have an infrastructure. We have a mm -hmm. wealthy individual who does not want to create the infrastructure. He just wants assistance in uh, finding deals and kind of, you know, coming up with a, a, a profile of what he wants to put together in his portfolio. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's great, Bob. So, um, you know, we're a great fit for investors or groups of investors that, that want to have, or already have, um, direct investments, which means that we're a nice alternative to going into a fund and being a, uh, limited partner in a blind pool um, and, you know, be locked up for 10 years to see how the fund performs. There's a great place for that. They, they perform very well. Um, but if you want to have exposure and a little more control uh, directly to the uh, investment of the operating business, then we're a great fit. And some some groups will have internal capabilities and, and people that they've developed uh, and other times they like to rent groups like us on an as needed basis. So, you know, we, we certainly get the call, you know, hey, we're looking at this deal. Can you, you know, can you scrub it for us? Take a look, run due diligence, give us a, some perspectives on it. You know, we'll, we'll get brought in from time to time to help quarterback a financing for a portfolio company and help them buy a business and put another round of capital in place and, you know, just sort of transact for growth. Um, that's, that's probably where, where we fit best. So if I hear you correctly, I mean, you know, you provide, you know, uh, you have a certain level of deal inventory. So, you know, in certain segments based on what you're looking at for other clients, you kind of have a sense in, in various verticals as to what some good potential deals are out there to be invested in. You provide due diligence services. Uh, you know, you can help finance the acquisition in addition to, whatever equity they may be putting in. You provide ongoing reporting and, uh, say, monitoring of those uh, in investments as well. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. And, that's, a, that's a good recap, Bob. Thank you. And then also sales and disposition. Would you help me, now that I've owned a firm for a while and 
let's say it's just matured and I, I want to redeploy that capital elsewhere. I want to rotate out of my uh, investment in a you know large, large, I don't know, dry cleaning chains or whatever I've decided to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll help me with the sale too. Sometimes, but we're not we're not an M and A shop, right? So right. a lot of times we're actually helping pick the bankers that are going to go quarterback that process. So you'll help manage um, the process of, you know, you know yeah. s sorting through who would be the best people to deal with. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, Bond Venture Equity, you've, you've, it's been around for how many years now? Three. Three. And uh, this is a tangent that we didn't talk about ahead of time, but I think it'll be a simple softball to handle. And I'm, uh, uh, so I'll go ahead and pitch it your way. You're a small businessman yourself. I mean, so, you know, you're advising family offices uh, and you've come up with a business model and you've grown it for three years and it's an outgrowth of your career experience, et cetera. But it also definitely follows on your uh, entrepreneurial instincts. Um, you know, and I know you've spent a lot of time uh, at, FAE, at FAU, which to those around the country right. don't know, it's Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida, and they have a really nice accelerator there called FAU Tech Runway. And you've been involved in, in both FAU and the runway uh, as a mentor and a, and a professor, et cetera. Um, and I know one of the, uh, the big things that you've done lately, and it's uh, I've heard a lot of people talking about it, is that uh, you've started uh, an an, you're starting an annual direct investing conference, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Bob. It's... Um so, so on that whole social media marketing piece, you know, I, I would speak on panels and go to different conferences, et cetera. And, you know, was generally underwhelmed with them. Um, and networking is good, but was never really finding the right niche for us. Uh, and so, you know, last year I thought I would just put together a round table of, you know, 15 or 20 investors and have a conversation on something topical and, Ended up with 140 RSVPs, renting out a conference room, and getting written up in a local um, uh, business and wealth magazine. Um, so what we found is that in the family office arena, where where we spend uh, our, our days, you know, there's a real appetite for you know um, private you know events where people can you know meet other thought leaders and other people that are actually doing deals, and there's always a desire for learning and best practices, etc. So this year we've really expanded the, the the platform. We've done a number. We did a really cool event earlier in the year where we did a roundtable discussion on tax implications when the new administration took over, and we hosted it at Mar-a-Lago. And so we had, you know, 60, 60 people and mostly family offices there show up and you know have a really interesting conversation. And then we you know did some did a, a survey there and created some you know, data and reported that back to our community. So, so those things that become very authentic when, because we're practitioners, right? So we can have a different conversation, um, I think has put us in a really interesting spot. And so this year we're, we're going even bigger and hosting it at the, uh, the Boca resort, which is one of the most phenomenal venues in the country. Um, and, uh, we're putting together some really interesting panel discussions on private company ownership and, and investing in private companies and generating returns and, and a couple of strategies for direct investors that are, are really um, front and center right now, impact investing, the dynamics of co-investing and, and real estate. So uh, we expect a really good turnout. So it's a month from today. Oh, a month from today. The Boca Resort is an amazing property. Um, so how many panels and, and speeches in total ballpark do you think you'll probably have? Yeah, we've got two tracks, three panels each. We're going to have around 20 speakers. Um, we've got space for you know up to 300, uh, which uh, we've filled every room we've sort of put together historically. So um, I think it's going to be a really great, really great day of some really exciting interactions. Um, and uh, stand by because we should have uh, some pretty interesting keynote speakers to, to, to go public with here in the next few days. So that's on November 10th, and that's a one-day event? Yes. And how many, uh, I mean, how many people do you think you'll have? What are you hoping to have turn out for the event? Well, um, I, I don't think we can go over 300, so. You don't think it'll go for 300? I don't think you'll have a problem yeah. getting there. Um, 
and it's uh, and where uh, who's the right person to type of people to attend that, Ross? So this is we, we we've done other events where companies will come and present to investors and things. This is as our annual event, really focused on the investor side. You know, this is where we want to get. Uh, family offices to have you know a lot of conversation and and ultimately share deal flow and, and opportunities with each other to, to to co-invest. If I'm one of those entrepreneurs though that we talked about earlier that you know has a uh, a business with you know significant uh, revenue and scale, uh, is, is this kind of the event that perhaps I should attend as well? This would be a great event for um, entrepreneurs at that kind of level that you're talking about that that are thinking about either, um, you know, what a what a next round of capital might look like, um, or kind of where they are in the life cycle as investors themselves, uh, and and where they should be thinking their their next steps may be. And uh, I'm assuming uh, it's not a free event. So where do I? Where would someone go to learn more about the event, the agenda, and also to purchase tickets? Yeah, it's on our website at B is in boy, B is in Victor, equity.com. And if I were a family office or an entrepreneur that we had talked about, the types that would talk to you, is your contact information on the website, Ross? Can they just it find, is, yes. find you there? Yeah. Yeah, and I'd be ha- I'd happy to extend an invitation uh, to anybody uh, who, who's listened to this podcast is interested in the event. They can email me directly at ross at bvequity.com, and I'd be happy to uh, uh, extend an invitation to them. Well, I will be there for sure. It sounds like a great event. I've taken a look at it myself online, and I'm looking forward to uh, participating. Um Ross, I want to thank you for spending an hour with our audience today and explaining a little bit more about what family offices are, what a group such as yours does to help help family offices uh, directly invest, and also to explain to people what Bonaventure Equity actually does, and and also for letting us know about your uh, annual direct investing conference, your inaugural one that's coming up a month from today on November 10th. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not the inaugural one. It's we've done it before, but oh, I'm, sorry. Um, uh, I'm no, 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 no. It's no, it's it's no problem. Um, uh, I'm really looking forward to having you there, Bob. Maybe we can uh, do another conversation like this to to you know report uh, live from the conference space. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, and look, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. I, um, you know, it's been uh, great to, to get to know you over all these years and to see you doing some really valuable and innovative things and in our community and, and, and indeed on the national stage. Thank you so much, Ross. Appreciate you being our guest today on SUPEX Radio. Thanks, Bob. Be well.